as the social worker, I couldn't change what they were dealing with. But what I could do is be a, a listening ear or um, provide some support or ask about the pictures they have hung up on the wall, their family members, their pets. You know, just make them feel some sense of normalcy as they're going through this whole new scenario. Um, so for me, it was how do I go above and beyond to support this person knowing they're dealing with like the toughest thing in their lives. This is the James Cancer Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and my guest is Katie Klaikus. This is the second in our new ongoing series of episodes featuring nurses, social workers, and some of the other James specialists who take care of patients and their colleagues. Katie is the director of field education for the Ohio State University College of Social Work. And prior to this, she spent 10 years at the James working with and helping patients. We'll talk about the important role of social workers in the journey of cancer patients. And also, we'll talk about Katie's own experience after her mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and treated here at the James. Welcome to the podcast, Katie. It's great to be here, Steve. Thanks. Social work can be in so many different areas, but your specialty until recently was in the medical setting and oncology with cancer patients. How did that come about? You know, early in my social work career, I just kind of wanted to get my foot in the door in a medical setting. I wanted to see what that type of social work was like. And I knew here in Columbus that the James was sort of the place to be if you wanted to be a medical social worker. So in 2009, I started working for a clinic, um, an actual benign hematology clinic, which was for cancer patients or for non-cancer patients. With blood with diseases of some sort. Exactly. Okay. So with uh, hemophilia, thrombosis, other benign hematology conditions. And um, after several years of doing that role, I just really had this, um, this, this desire to work with cancer patients, to be more connected to them while they were in the hospital being treated. And so I moved to an inpatient social work role, um, working with hematology patients. So, and just... To, to explain to people, so benign hematology would be blood diseases that are not cancerous. Hemonc or hematology oncology is leukemia, lymphoma, blood cancers, blood cancers. Correct. Okay? And so the James has one of the biggest and best departments of that in anywhere. Absolutely. So perfect. That's a perfect segue into what. So what does the social workers at the James do? What are how do they help patients and staff on their cancer journeys? One of the great things about the James, I, I, I think think that they see the whole patient and they, they treat every patient as an individual. And so the social worker is there to support the patient, to connect the patient with resources in the community to be an advocate for the patient. Maybe if they don't have a caregiver with them, that social worker can provide that support to the patient um, just to make sure that they're getting the resources that they need, knowing that the journey is a really difficult one to go through. Yeah, I don't think people realize all the different things that cancer patients need. Their lives are disrupted. They need services. They may need a walker. They may need help with shopping or, well, you tell us. what. Give us uh, some of the examples of some of the many different services that you can help advocate for, for, for the patients here. Well, I think from the, from the first 
point of diagnosis. I think it's just such a huge impact on people to hear those words, you have cancer. And so for the social worker to be able to support that person with learning about their diagnosis, to knowing how their world was going to change, to knowing how that they can stay working, you know, and, and, and come in for clinic appointments and get treatment, but also have resources to be able to do those things in a way that they can stay healthy and, and meet their, their own needs. Um, social work becomes that guide guidance to the patient and 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 really following the patient throughout their journey to help help them access what they need so after someone's diagnosed here at the james are they how do they then connect with with the social worker so one of the the neat components of social work at the James is every patient sees a social worker inpatient. So as soon as a patient is admitted to the hospital, a social worker is referred and they meet with the patient to do an assessment and to see what they need. Um, And then as they either stay in the hospital, um, get closer to discharge, the social worker can help them get access to, like you said, medical equipment, if they need nursing for follow up in a nursing facility or, or things like that, the social work role is really helping access those resources. Um, in the outpatient world, it, it can be different. It can be um, needing a letter for a work accommodation or just needing someone to check in and see how they're doing. So I guess that means that you met with a lot of patients soon after their diagnosis. What was that like sort of meeting all these different people from all these different backgrounds it, it, during just this traumatic, difficult time of their lives? It's a really good question. Um, for me, it's sort of a sacred space. You know, it's it's that position of, as the social worker, I couldn't change what they were dealing with. But what I could do is be a, a listening ear or um, provide some support or ask about the pictures they have hung up on the wall, their family members, their pets, you know, just make them feel some sense of normalcy as they're going through this whole new scenario. Um, so for me, it was how do I go above and beyond to support this person knowing they're dealing with like the toughest thing in their lives. So I also take it that that's why you you do what you do to be able to connect with people like that. Yes, yeah. It for me, it, it fills my cup to be to be able to give to others and be there for others. So it's really a, a situation where I feel like I almost get more out of the situation than, than the patients might. Um, but being able to support patients during the most difficult time has made a has you know changed my life forever. And I take it you sort of develop personal, I've I've talked to a lot of the doctors uh, who develop long-term relationships with some of their patients. It's the same thing for you and other social workers. Absolutely. Yeah, you you become sort of an extended family member to the patient, especially for patients like lymphoma and leukemia patients. They're coming into the hospital sometimes for weeks at a time, um, having to come back for multiple rounds of treatment. So... um, I wouldn't necessarily have to see a patient at bedside, but if I saw someone that had been admitted, I would always try to stop in and say hello, see if there's anything they need. You know, I remember one patient, um, she was kind of a regular patient. She would come in pretty regularly for treatment, and and she was a little grumpy, but, you know, I totally understand why. Um, But one day, I think she she just told me that she was missing just chocolate. And so I just one day when she was admitted in the hospital, there was uh, I left some Dove chocolates at her bedside just because I wanted her to know that she made a difference in my life and and I wanted to make her smile. 
did you find out if if she got them? She did. Oh, she okay. did. She she appreciated them. She said, um, "I'll expect this every time I come in now." <laughs> okay. <laughs> See that I hadn't thought of that, but with advances in research, and particularly with some of the blood cancers, you could see patients for four, five, six, seven, or more years are they're they're receiving treatment and not going to doing well. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's one of the big changes in I, I bet in social work from perhaps even the beginning of your career is that longer term outcomes for patients are so much better. Exactly. And, you know, we get so busy in our workload and things we need to get done. And and those moments of just, you know, checking in and and having a person recognize you and and a smile on a face, those are the things that kind of keep you on track with all of the the busyness and the hustle and bustle of the the role. There sort of is that culture here at the James of Kindness, I think, is the the right word. Is that something you've noticed that you talk about that social workers, uh, I'm going to bet, are are contribute to? Oh, for sure, a hundred percent. The culture of kindness, the culture of being present with that patient, you know, not being a foot out the door, because again, their world has been turned upside down. So even if you're able to spend 10 minutes with a patient, but be truly present with that patient, it makes a difference. How do you learn to do that, to be present, to not be thinking ahead to your next patient, to fully concentrate on that moment and be there for that patient? Is that something that people either have or not? Is it a learned skill, both? Well, I think probably both. For me, the benefit to doing that, to seeing how that impacted the people I was working with made it imperative that I would I would work that way. And I and I still try to maintain that present focus when I'm working with people, when I'm working with students or patients. Yeah, I think in today's world that's a skill that perhaps more people could learn. <laughs> There's so many things pulling our attention in so many directions. And it does. It, it takes practice. It's not something that I think that we're innately born with, especially in our society with managing so many priorities. You know, I think we have to practice, you know, taking deep breaths and, and being present. Yeah, but I do think that I'm going to guess that you probably had natural caregiving skills, which is why you got into the field you got into. I'd like to think so. My siblings might disagree. No, I'm just kidding. They <laughs> Well, they don't need care from you yet. So when they need your some care from you, you'll be there for exactly. them. Exactly. They'll realize. So sadly, unfortunately, outcomes for some patients are just not going to be good long term and, and mortality is, is going to happen. That's why everyone here does what they do to, to change that. But what what happens when, when it's you know, when you know the outcome is not going to be good, when a person has weeks or a month or two to live, how does that change the role of the social worker? And what kind of services do you then help them get? How do you help make those last weeks and months, you know, go as as well as they can go? For me, it was always to make sure that the patient was driving the bus, you know, to make sure to listen to what the patient wanted in terms of whether it be hospice or going home. Um, you know, again, I think I shared with you, we, we couldn't change the trajectory of their disease. But, uh, you know, if we could make one thing happen that they really wanted to have happen, um, that was beneficial. So I'll, I'll tell you another quick story. Um 
we had a, a gentleman, and this was when we were in the old James. So I believe uh, he was on this 10th floor. And all he wanted before he passed away, we knew that he wasn't going to make it out of the hospital. And all he wanted before he passed away was to see his dog. And if you knew the old James, you, you knew that you couldn't have animals or pets in the building. Well, we were able to have a secret you know, plan to get the dog up the back stairwell, up 10 flights, and, and into the patient's room to see the patient. And that made such a difference in terms of the patient's coming to terms with their own death. And so for me, as a as an individual, but also as a professional, you know, making sure that we know what that patient needs, and that we try to do our best to connect them with whatever that might be. That's interesting, because, you know, all of us at some point are going to have to face, you know, the end of life issues. And how do people what was your experiences? How do people handle that? It's such a range. I mean, one of the things we all know is that we're not going to live forever. And I think in our society, we don't talk about death. So I think right. it becomes an issue of there's a fear of talking about it. There's a fear of planning for it. Um, for me, um, I try not to be afraid of it. I try to I try to realize that I, if I can stay in the present, if I can live in each moment, I get the joys and the, and the sadness and all of the emotions of life. Um, but I think for most patients, you know, they probably aren't ready. No. And you have to work with them to get through that. That must be a very exhausting and perhaps difficult situation. It can be. And but it, yeah, also rewarding, probably. Exactly. Wow. So I hate to take a break on this sort of sad note, but we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk to Katie about, well, another kind of difficult situation after her her mom was was diagnosed with cancer. And she sort of got to see firsthand what it was like to be a patient and a family member of a James patient. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back with Katie Klaikis, the Director of Field Education for the Ohio State University College of Social Work. And so, Katie, I, I apologize in advance. It's going to be tough to talk about, but your own mom your, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And so you shared with her the cancer journey she was on. So let's talk about that and what it was like for you to be in that different sort of role as a caregiver, it's your own family member in the hospital where you worked. So she was diagnosed in November of 2019 with pancreatic cancer. And my initial response when she called me was social work. Let's get her into for an appointment. She needs a biopsy. We need to get this happening fast. Because I knew with a stage four pancreatic cancer diagnosis, you know, time was extremely important. Um, slowly, I, I f allowed myself to lean into the daughter role more than the social work role. 
um, and and be a caregiver and a, a, a daughter to her. Um, but it was it was definitely um, an experience that highlighted that culture of kindness and that culture of care that we talked about at the James because we felt that. Do you think that initially when you sort of took hold of your social worker role rather than the daughter role is like emotional protection in a sense that you weren't quite ready to let go of immediately because it's you didn't want to believe this was happening. Absolutely. And a sense of control. Like I have to do whatever I can to try and control what's happening next, even though at this point, you know that it's out of your control. So what did happen? What, how did her journey kind of proceed and, and your interactions here at the James with all the different medical people and professionals you, you saw? So she was um, connected at the Martha Morehouse with an oncologist and a team, um, Dr. Ray Chowdhury and his team. And we were starting treatment before COVID started. So we were able to all come in and and meet the team and ask questions. And, you know, Dr. Roy Chowdhury sat next to us and, and amidst our sadness, you know, was really with us in talking about what was next, you know, and, and he did a really nice job of his bedside manner, his ability to not go too far ahead and really focus on her quality of life, but also how long we can extend life. So we were, we became part of their family and they became part of ours. He has quite a large lab and they're all very collaborative and just great people. Absolutely. And he's been on the podcast a couple times and he's just a great doctor. He is, my mom adored him. You know, she, despite having to come in for chemotherapy, she would light up when he walked in the room. So you mentioned she had to come in for chemotherapy. So, and knowing a little bit about what Samik does with precision cancer medicine. So the goal from the beginning was to extend the life as long as possible and to have the best quality of life during that time. Those were the two primary goals. And for us, those were the most important goals. And then how did social work services here at the James kind of step in and and help everyone? So we were connected with social work right away and they helped with some of the logistical pieces around healthcare power of attorney, um, you know, time off for for me and my siblings to be able to be with her at her appointments. So really just to make it easier on us to be able to be alongside her. And and I think that my mom was in a, a blessed situation to have family with her at her appointments and to help, you know, we were able to help her kind of keep track of appointments and when she needed to be here. And I think the social work can be a, a, an advocate for those who don't have family members at their at their bedside. Um, so we feel really lucky to have that have had that support for my mom. And just so everyone understands, you used to be a social worker here and in charge of the social work department. But you had left just it sounds like a few months before your mom was diagnosed to, to move over to the um, uh, to, be, to be the director of field education, meaning you trained other social workers. So you had left here just prior to that, right? Yeah, about a year prior, um, I loved my job at the James. I never thought I would leave the James. And, and an opportunity came across my desk to train future social workers. And, and it just, for a moment, I thought, 
wow, this is a huge, I could make a huge impact on the profession by moving into this role and helping our, our future social work um, professionals prepare themselves for this, this big job they have ahead of them. And so that's the only reason why I left my job was just because I felt like it was a really great opportunity and, and it would be uh, fulfilling for me to be able to play that role in, in the future of social work. Well, it sounds like a next logical step to help teach the next generation of social worker that's that's a great thing to do yeah so as as things progressed and sadly got a little worse worse and worse for your mom gradually how did how did the services here what was it like to be in that role here you know I think that with with the onset of COVID, it was really difficult because we had to send her in by herself. But what was what was reassuring is knowing that she had her nurses and PCAs that she knew that you know we knew that we're, they were going to take care of her. Um, her research nurse Michelle, we still stay in touch with Michelle. We're actually my sister and I are talking about volunteering at a farm with her this summer to garden together. Um, and that just shows you that like building relationships and having those connections makes the journey. It doesn't make it easy, but it makes it easier. Yeah, that's interesting. Interesting, because in the first half, you talked about those connections from the other side where you were the one helping families. And now others here are helping you and your family. That's 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 a very nice circle. It is. So if, if you're able to, can you talk about the last couple weeks and and you know how things ended yeah so my mom um was she wanted to do anything to to live longer she was the type of person she just wasn't ready you know she was a healthy 73 year old nana you know she watched grandbabies and she walked three miles a day and you know so so this disease this diagnosis was like being hit by a mack truck for her um, so throughout her journey, her question was always like, what else can I do? I'm, I'm going to do everything to, to live longer. Um, and, and the team was really able, like I shared earlier, the team was able to make the time that she had valuable and, and for us to be able to spend that time together and to love on her and, and for her not to be in pain for another 15 months. So we got a call in early January from Dr. Roy Chowdhury, and, and he shared um, that there wasn't an option. There were, there were no other treatments that wouldn't cause her more harm. Mm-hmm. And, and I appreciated the fact that he called me first so that as uh, a family, we could meet with her and tell her that news. Um, so my siblings and I went over to her house. We sat with her. We cried together. We talked about what that meant. And we really had to shift our focus on... How do we make the time that we have left as valuable as we can? And we did. You know, my mom gave us so many gifts in that last three weeks of life. She um, she recorded interviews with all of the grandchildren where she brought in questions. They brought in questions. Um, they got to ask her whatever they wanted. Um, of course, my son wanted to ask what the worst thing I did as a child was. <laughs> <laughs> Are you willing to share that? You know, answer? I was a pretty good kid. <laughs> okay. So she, she talked about how I fought with my siblings and I teased them a lot. So that's, that's not too I, bad. I know there are no like <laughs> fires or parties, but anyway, um, just the amount of time that we had with her and just the abilities that giving her, I don't want to say the death that she wanted, but, to do everything that we could to make it as peaceful as we could. Um, it was really a spiritual 
time for us. Um, and and my my sister and my two brothers and I were able to be at her bedside when she passed away, and um, she was ready. You know, at that point in time, throughout her journey, she wasn't ready. But when it was time, you know, she she closed her eyes and and she left us very quickly. And and as I shared, um, her pain was never felt until that last day, and and that to me is I'm so grateful for that she didn't experience pain. So, who for thank you for sharing that because that's just such a difficult. But it also sounds like your mom was teaching you lessons right up to the end that you and your whole family are going to remember and and will help you get through this. Yeah, that's actually one of the reasons I'm here today. Um, she, throughout her journey, wanted to share her story. She wanted to share the impact that the staff at the James had on her life and how much they meant to her. And and so I sort of took it upon myself and however I can share that and, and tell people thank you and make people understand how appreciated they are. Um, that's my goal. Do you think, I, I'm, I know it had an impact on you and changed you as a, as a person. How do you think it's going to make you a better teacher of other social workers now as you you go forward and train the next generation i think that point about being present and and really we don't know what people need we need to listen we need to to help them feel comfortable and help them um, feel like they have an advocate at their side and so in the in the social work profession making sure that our next generation of social workers are good listeners and good advocates and um, truly value each individual that they serve. Well, those are great lessons to have learned. And, and thank you for sharing the story of what you do and sharing the story of your mom, who sounds like a, a wonderful woman. She absolutely is. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.